chapter, Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, amen. I've got some exciting things to talk to you about this morning. I'm excited about the opportunity to do that, amen. Amen, praise God. Romans chapter 5, and we'll look at two verses beginning at verse number 8. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 8. I feel led to pray over you this morning. If I could do that, please, before we read the word, amen. Father, thank you. For this time together this morning, thank you for what you have done in us. And Father, I now release blessing upon these people. Father, you have instructed us to pray for wisdom and a gift of repentance. And Father, I now, as a portal, Lord Jesus, from your kingdom into this earthly realm, I release wisdom and I release a gift of repentance and I release the blessing of your truth, Lord, in our lives today. I thank you, Father, for softening our hearts to receive it. I thank you, Father, for warming us to your love and drawing us close to you today. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Praise God. Romans chapter 5, one of my favorite chapters in Romans. And I want us to zero in on two verses as we begin this morning. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Now, there's some words in these verses that you may not be familiar with, let me just, if I could, quickly explain them to you. The first word that I want to point out is from verse number 9, and that is the word justified. This word justified means to be made right before God in the eyes of God. This is a salvation word. It's what it means when we are born again and we are, we are not just forgiven uh, for the sins that we've committed, but our sins are taken away from us because Jesus became your sin on the cross and then the Bible says that we were made His righteousness. So justification, one way to simply remember what this word means, justified just as if I'd never sinned. Brother Copeland says grace is God's effort to treat you like sin never happened. Amen. And so this is justified. Then the next word is this word reconciled. We've been reconciled. We were reconciled. Reconciled is referring to the standing that you have with God and the relationship that standing uh, creates or the fellowship that that standing creates. So let's say it this way. Justification is you being given a gift of right standing with God so that you can have close fellowship, reconciliation with Him. To reconcile means to be restored into right relationship. So right standing with God, right relationship. And this, of course, is what Jesus' completed work on the cross has done for us. Now, it says this, though, and the thought of these verses include us understanding our justification, understanding our reconciliation, but it carries it one step further, and that is if we have been justified, if we have been reconciled, what's next? Amen. And so it says, because the blood of Jesus shed by His death on the cross, we have been justified, we have been reconciled. Much more having been reconciled, 
we shall be saved by His life. Now, we tend to think of our salvation experience. Come on now, who's still with Pastor Mark? We tend to think of our salvation experience either in the past tense or in the future tense. Okay? Listen to me now very carefully. For instance, when we speak of our salvation experience, for those of us in the room that have, have received salvation, we, we tend to use expressions like, I got saved. Notice that's past tense. Or, I was saved in 1998. How about this? Anybody that was raised Southern Baptist, I walked the aisle. Anybody ever heard that one? Walk the aisle. Amen. Anybody here walked the aisle? Praise God. Walking the aisle was, you know, that's the same thing as saying, God, you know, if you walk the aisle, you got saved. I mean, that was just kind of the whole expression. But again, I want you to notice how we tend to think of salvation in the past tense because when we talk about it, we tend to use past tense phrases and wording and expressions. We also tend to think of our salvation in the future tense. Because I got saved, I will one day go to heaven. So we think in terms of something that happened in the past, got saved, and how that experience is going to be really important to us one day in the future. So I got saved, therefore one day I will go to heaven. But notice what has been conveniently left out of our understanding or of our thinking or of the way we even you know, speak of our salvation. That's right now. That's present tense. Anybody still with me this morning? So again, thank God that we were saved. Thank God that we will go to heaven. But Jesus did not bleed to death naked on a cross just so that you could get saved and one day go to heaven. He did for you on the cross what He did for you so that you could live a life of victory and overwhelming success right here, right now, today. Present tense. See, the enemy of your soul is very slick. He has no problem with you living in the past and He has no problem with you living in the future just as long as you don't live today. Just as long as you don't connect with today what Jesus did for you when He hung on that cross. Now, we connect on some level with His death because we understand that Jesus' death on the cross and the blood that He shed while hanging on that cross has provided forgiveness for our sins. But once again, our salvation thinking tends to stop at the crucifixion. And because of that, our salvation experience tends to stop there as well. Now for those of you who know how the story continues, Jesus was crucified, He was buried, and then three days later, He was raised from the dead. He ascended to His Father, poured His blood out on the altar for my sin and for yours. Then He came back and existed on planet earth for 40 days and was seen by hundreds if not thousands of people. He then ascended back into the heavens and the followers of Jesus were standing there staring up into the sky. It was like one of those Shazam moments, right? I mean, they were standing there staring up into the sky until you couldn't even see Him any longer. And an angel appears and says, why are you all standing here staring up in the sky? 
obviously, you know, they had just seen something amazing that had captured their attention. It wasn't that the angel was dumb. The angel was trying to make a point. Enough of us getting saved and staring up in the sky until Jesus calls us home. Jesus raised up from the dead to give you and me life. Do you know why He gave you life? He gave you life in order to live. He gave you life so that you could live. He gave you life on that first Easter morning so that you could live on this Easter morning 2018. He gave you life on that first Easter morning so that when you wake up on Monday morning, you can live tomorrow too. That you can live life, life to the fullest, an abundant life, a victorious life, a prosperous life, a meaningful life, a life that's making a difference in this world. He died on that cross to give you life, and He gave you life so that you could live. That's the message of Easter. Justified and reconciled by His death. These are speaking of past tense completed works having now been justified, having now been reconciled. What's next now that you are? That's the question before us this morning. When it says we've been saved by His life, this is speaking of something present tense as well as something that is ongoing. Now, we tend to only think of Jesus' death as being what saved us. I want you to think about that for a moment. We put so much emphasis, and I'm not saying that the emphasis doesn't belong on what He did on the cross. For that, for that matter, how He suffered even before He was nailed to that cross. And of course, without that cross, it would be impossible for you and me to be made just before God and to, be, and to have right uh, relationship with Him. And so because of that, though, listen to me now, we tend to only think of Jesus' death as being what saved us. But the Bible plainly says that if Jesus died but was never raised, then we are still dead in our sins. So it wasn't just His death for us, but it was His being raised up for us as well that has completed, if you will, or brought forth the salvation that we now experience. I'll put the two verses up for you. You can look them up later. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14. It says this, And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Then three verses later, And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Now, let's get something straight this morning, if we could. And this is going to be a simple statement, but please, 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 don't overlook this. Jesus didn't come to make wrong people right again or bad people good again. He came to make dead people live again. Amen. That's what He came to do. We needed more than forgiveness. We needed resurrection. We needed more than just having our sins taken away from us. Life is found within a relationship, fellowship, intimate union with our Creator. And our sin created a situation between your heart and God's heart, my heart and God's heart, that separated us from Him. The sin had to be removed so that the oneness, the union, could be reestablished. 
Jesus' death on the cross paid for our sins, but His resurrection is what gave us life. We have embraced His death that purchased our forgiveness, justification, and reconciliation. It is time to embrace His resurrection that gave us newness of life. Now we began this year in the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 3 where Paul says this, verse 10, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death. The amplified version of this passage condensed into a statement, reads this way. Paul stated his determined purpose in life was to progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with Jesus, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of His person more strongly and more clearly, and in the same way come to know the power of His resurrection, the power His resurrection rather now exerts over the life of believers. Paul said this, I want to know Jesus and I want to know the power of His resurrection. Now, that's an interesting statement, the power of His resurrection. He's not just talking about the power that it took from God the Father to raise Jesus from the dead. But he's talking about the implications of that power now operating in my life and in yours. Paul recognized that his salvation experience went beyond the cross. And that his salvation experience went beyond him simply dying with Jesus. But that when Jesus was raised up from the dead, Romans 6 and 4 says that we also were raised up together with Him. It says this, Therefore we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Easter bottom line, are you ready? It's in the form of a question. What is true about you right now because you were saved? I feel some of you slipping away. All right, the ham will wait. The mac and cheese will wait. Amen. Are you with me? What is true about you right now because you were saved? Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. It says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. I have been crucified with Christ. When He died, you died with Him. When He was buried, you were buried with Him. When He was raised to newness of life, you were raised with Him. When He ascended to the right hand of the Father, you ascended with Him. That phrase, this is the, this is the phrase that the Holy Spirit has just 
so emphasized in my heart over the last few weeks, especially for this morning. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Colossians says it this way, that your life has been hidden in God with Christ, and He has now become your life. Frank Viola and Leonard Sweet say it this way, you are no longer the main character in your life story. You are no longer the main character in your life story. I am no longer the main character in my life story because it's no longer Mark Winslet who lives, but the resurrected, glorified Christ Jesus. He now lives in me, and He now lives through me. The resurrected, glorified Christ Jesus has now become the main character, the most important character of my life story. And because I am allowing Him to live in me and to live through me, he is living a life through me beyond anything I could have ever dreamed or imagined. He is producing through me and in me a life going beyond my wildest dreams, a life of fruitfulness, a life of peace and joy and meaningfulness and direction that I could have never come up with living as Mark Winslet before I met him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now I want to show you from the Scriptures why that's the case and then we'll celebrate communion together is that alright it's one of my favorite Easter passages and it is found in John chapter 12 and verse 24 we were actually talking about this verse in discipleship class the other evening John chapter 12 and verse 24 this is what Jesus says most assuredly I say to you Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Now the context of this passage involves Jesus speaking of his death, which was very close, very near. And of course the disciples were having a hard time wrapping their hearts and minds around this idea that Jesus was going to die. So when Jesus says most assuredly, normally when he said most assuredly, he was going to say something astounding that if you're not careful, it'll be so profound that you'll miss it. In this case, though, he said most assuredly, and he was talking about something that everybody, at least in the natural sense, already understood, that you have to take a seed off the shelf and put it in the ground in order for that seed through its death to release the life that is within it and the fruit that's within it. But yet when he says most assuredly here, it wasn't because he was telling them something they didn't know or something they couldn't comprehend, but he was saying, listen, this means more than what you think because, of course, Jesus was speaking of himself as the seed. So he's saying that unless he dies and is buried, the life that is in him and the fruit that his death will produce will stay in him. But if he dies, that power will be released. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, we use expressions like saved and salvation, but then the Bible also talks about being born again. And sometimes we don't really understand what those two things have to do with one another. Jesus is referred to in Colossians as the firstborn from the dead. Jesus was the first human being born from the grave. Jesus was the first human being born from death. All other human beings had been born from their mother's womb and they were conceived through the corrupted seed of Adam. Therefore, we were born in a sinful state. Jesus took our sin and died. He was separated from God the Father because our sin separated Him from God the Father. He was buried, but on the third day, He was born again. Jesus was born again. He was born not from the womb of the Virgin Mary. He was born from the womb of death. And He came forth to newness of life to never die again. But remember, He was a seed that fell into the earth and died. And when He fell into the earth and died, He released the life, amen, that now gives life to you and me. Notice, He was the firstborn from the dead. He was not the last. I don't know what number I was, but I was somewhere in that succession. I was somewhere in that number of men and women who had been born from the dead. Jesus was born from the dead. And when I called out upon His name to receive salvation, I too was born from death into life, into His kingdom, into newness of life. And in the same way that Jesus will never die again, I will never die again. Jesus was born from the dead. We were born again with Jesus from the dead. Now here's where it gets interesting. We were born again from His seed. Remember, He's the seed that fell into the earth. He's the seed that fell into the earth, right? We were born again from His seed, and now the seed of His life is in those who have been born again. If you could open an apple, you will find inside that apple the seed that produced it abiding inside. If you could open an apple, you will find inside the apple the seed that produced it. Yes? If we could somehow cut open your spirit this morning, you would find in your spirit the seed, capital S-E-E-D, of life that produced you. The same seed that gave you life. 1 John 3, 9 says, now abides in you. Romans eight eleven says it this way, but if the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit 
who dwells in you. One last passage. Acts chapter 17 and verse 28. I'm asking you this morning to make this your Easter prayer. For in Him we live and move and have our being as also some of your own poets have said for we are also His offspring. Or another way of saying that last phrase is for we also were born of His seed. They may not need a lot of breaking down but if I could just break those three words down for you. For in Him we live. That word literally means exist. For in Him we exist. That word move, again a simple word. Another word for move here would be function. We exist in Him, we function in Him and have our being. That word being there literally means identity. For in Him we exist, we function, and we have our identity. I'm going to ask the singers and musicians if they would come, please. Thank you, Jesus. Are you getting anything out of this? I was talking to the class this morning. I think the two most important things that you and I can do where Easter and all that it means is concerned, two most important things that we can do. Number one, be thankful. You know what I mean? We're about to partake of communion together, and communion is about a lot of things, and one of the things, and most importantly, it's about remembering. It's about never forgetting what Jesus did for us. And being thankful is one of the ways that we never forget. But I said two things. Number one, be thankful for what's been done for you, and don't ever forget it. Number two, number two, is to take what Jesus has done for you and translate it into the life that you live on a daily basis. He died on that cross to give you life and life that He fully intended for you to live. We put so much emphasis when it comes to salvation on our eternal destination. And certainly your eternal destination is important, but Jesus did not just die on a cross to secure your eternal destination. He died on a cross to secure your daily victory in life. For too long, we've presented Christianity as a list of standards that everybody's trying to live up to. Years ago, the WWJD thing was such a craze and people wore the bracelets. I'm, listen, I'm not opposed to what would Jesus do but that's really not Christianity, my friend. Christianity is allowing Jesus to live through you. I've mentioned a time or two the book that I've recently, I've read it three times now. It's called The Jesus Manifesto. And they address in that book this wrong idea that Christianity is everybody trying to be like Jesus. Christianity is not about trying to be like Jesus. Jesus is the greatest human being that ever lived. And all of a sudden, we're all 
doomed to a life of trying to live up to his standard? My friend, that's not Christianity. Can you imagine being an artist and told to be like Michelangelo? Can you imagine being a singer and told to live up to Celine Dion? Are you, I understand what I'm saying here. You would always feel like a failure. How could you ever craft? Michelangelo is one of the greatest artists that ever lived. Some would say the greatest. What if as an artist you judged yourself based upon how much you could be like him? How much you could be like Beethoven if you played the piano? But what if Michelangelo could come live inside of you and do art through you? What if Beethoven could come live inside of you and write symphonies and play the piano through you? See, this is Christianity. It's not be like the greatest human being who ever lived or else. It's about allowing the greatest human being that's ever lived to come give you life and live inside of you and live through you and make you the person that your Heavenly Father created you to be. That's Christianity, my friend. That's Christianity. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I want you to bow your heads with me if you would, please. The simple gospel message is this. Jesus was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He never committed a sin, but yet he was punished for sin. Not his, but ours. He was beaten. He was nailed to a cross. And as he hung upon that cross, God allowed him to be the sacrifice to cover once and for all and then remove once and for all your sin and mine. The cross is where God's justice and God's mercy met and were both satisfied. As we've already said, Jesus was buried on the third day. He was raised up, and then after 40 days, He ascended to His Father with a promise that He would one day come back to those who were looking for Him and those who belonged to Him. There's lots of different ways that salvation can be explained. I like to simply explain it this way. Salvation is when you accept for yourself what Jesus has already done on your behalf. Jesus did what he did for you to make you right. He was already right to make you right. Amen. And so to receive the Lord Jesus means to receive for yourself what he has already accomplished on your behalf so that he can present you blameless before God the Father. I'm just curious this morning, is there anyone here you'd say, Pastor, I've never receive this gift of salvation. I've never called upon the name of the Lord to be saved, but today's my day, Easter Sunday, 2018. Anybody? Anybody? There's nothing more important today than what's happening right now. Is there anybody? Please don't let this opportunity pass you by. Is there anybody? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. They're going to begin to play a song very quietly, and the men who are going to serve are going to come and serve you communion this morning. If you're a guest with us, we would love for you to partake of communion together with us. This is not about a denominational thing or a church thing. It's about the body of Christ. If you're a born-again person, then please partake of communion this morning. If you're served first, if you would, please hold your emblems until everyone has been served, and then we'll all partake together. Also, if you would, please, um, let's remain in an attitude of worship and, and, and prayerfulness um, as, uh, as you're being served.